Are you a fan of vitamin C? A lot of people are a fan of vitamin C, especially now that the weather is changing. We're getting into cold and flu season. And obviously the past year and a half, two years, really boosting the immune system has been on everybody's mind. Absolutely. Vitamin C is very important and critical, and we probably don't get enough of it. So <laughs> I'm happy to talk about some great sources. <laughs> Which brings us to Michelle's question. She wants to know what are the best foods for vitamin C? other than an orange. There are so many others that can give you a good boost of vitamin C and are really easy to incorporate into your day. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 120 countries around the world. I want to say a healthy hello to everyone listening today in Brazil and in Poland, in Israel and Nigeria. Nothing but gratitude to you all for helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 87 of season four, number 282 overall. Vitamin C. We know that oranges are loaded with it, but did you know there are other foods out there that pack even more of a vitamin C punch. It's true. You just heard our guest today tease it. Dietitian Maggie Neola is here with a bunch of those foods, and I'll bet that there are a few that you may not have even realized were C-bombs that are ready to give your immune system a big old boost. And we're also going to be covering a lot of other ground in the nutrition playbook today. She's going to be answering questions you guys sent into the dietitian's mailbag. And here is what we have on tap. Just a few of them. Which nuts are lowest in fat? And is powdered peanut butter healthy? Maybe you've seen that on grocery store shelves. And is it safe to eat raw mushrooms or should you only eat them after they've been cooked? We also have a question about foods that are good for helping with inflamed joints and grains. Do we really need them as part of a healthy diet? Well, we're going to find that out and a whole lot more. Because right now it is time to raise our health IQs and learn a thing or two. Maggie Neola is here and the dietitian's mailbag is open for business. Thanks so much for being here, Maggie. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Great to have you here. It has been too long. Are you a fan of vitamin C? A lot of people are a fan of vitamin C, especially now that the weather is changing. We're getting into cold and flu season. And obviously the past year and a half, two years, really boosting the immune system has been on everybody's mind. Absolutely. Vitamin C is very important and critical, and we probably don't get enough of it. So <laughs> I'm happy to talk about some great sources. <laughs> Absolutely. Which brings us to Michelle's question. She's batting leadoff for us today. She wants to know what are the best foods for vitamin C other than an orange? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people don't know that red bell peppers are actually have more vitamin C uh, than an orange does. So um, just bringing in red bell peppers, um, even green bell peppers have some, but just not as much as the red ones. And strawberries are a really good one. We've got broccoli, kiwi, Brussels sprouts, the list goes on. But there are so many others that 
can give you a good boost of vitamin C and are really easy to, to incorporate into your day. And I know this isn't the question, but a fun fact is when um, you have something with vitamin C and with iron, that vitamin C rich food will boost the absorption of that iron. So thinking about pairing strawberries, which have vitamin C with uh, some leafy greens, which have some iron is going to help you absorb that better. Yo. And that brings me to my point that a spinach and strawberry salad is amazing. You ever have one of those with a little bit of balsamic just drizzled on top, man, that is, that is heaven right there. It's a great combination and a good whole food uh, source of these vitamins and minerals, which are always better. <laughs> you, you know, I remember the first time somebody tipped me off to the fact that broccoli was on par with an orange in terms of vitamin C, maybe even a little bit more. I'd, I'd have to check it um, to be certain, but I was just blown away because we are brought up from a very early age, basically to think that it's citrus or bust when it comes to vitamin C. So eat your oranges, drink your orange juice, and that's how you get it. And you, lo and behold, man, like these green foods are just packed with them, some of them. They really are. Yeah. It's, I think it's so important for us to recognize that there are multiple sources of these different vitamins and minerals. And that is a good thing because, you know, the more the merrier of the diversity in our diet, the healthier we're going to be. Amen to that. So uh, a lot of people in a diverse diet, they like to incorporate some nuts in there. And nuts, they are higher in fat. Some people will call that healthier fat. And that brings us to Laura's question. She is concerned about too much fat in her diet and is wondering which fats have or which nuts have the least amount of fat and calories in them. Do you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Well, most nuts are pretty similar in terms of the amount of fat. Um, but I would actually recommend thinking, what about nuts and seeds? So for example, flaxseed um, is pretty low in fat compared to many other nuts and seeds, and it provides a good you know, dose of omega-3s, which are an important, um, important type of fat as well. So really thinking about, again, going back to what we were saying, that diversity in what you're eating uh, and being careful with how much nuts and seeds, since they do tend to be a little bit higher in fat. Um, we really don't need a ton in order to meet our body's needs. For our newer watchers today, can you remind us what omega-3s are good for, what their purpose does? Yeah, omega-3s are good for our brains, for our hearts, um, for reducing inflammation. There's a lot of good benefits for, for having those um, in our diet. And even dark leafy greens have some. <laughs> Again, score one for greens. You know, you've yeah. got your vitamin C and now you've got your omega threes. Who knew? Not this guy. Not any, you know, not until fairly recently anyway. Um, okay. So uh, sticking on the nut train, uh, here's a good one from Jessica. Have you seen this in the stores, powdered peanut butter? Have you seen that one, Maggie? Mm -hmm. All right. So Jessica is wondering whether or not that's actually healthy. Mm. Well, I think a good way to look at it is if you are somebody who loves peanut butter and have, you have a hard time with limiting how much you have, um, even though it is delicious and has some health benefits, we can, you don't want to eat that in excess. Um, peanut, powdered peanut butter can be really helpful because it still has that delicious flavor without a ton of added calories. So it's just defatted peanuts that have been ground up. Uh, is it the same as eating an actual peanut in terms of its health benefits? Probably not. But again, if for somebody who tends to eat a lot of peanut butter is trying to have less um, to overall improve their diet, putting a little powdered peanut butter in your oatmeal or in a smoothie or an African peanut soup 
can be a great way to help you not overdo it um, in the actual, you know, peanut butter world. <laughs> so I think there's some benefits to including it. Um, and it's, it's a fun thing. It's definitely fun to explore. You just reminded us how much of a chef you actually are, how much time you spend in the kitchen. I mean, I can think of very few people uh, who would have said African peanut soup is a great way to enjoy a peanut. Like that's, that is just awesome. Like you just bring that culinary knowledge and it's so like under the radar sometimes. Yeah, I do love cooking. <laughs> it's, it's been something and I've enjoyed for a really long period of time and um, it's a creative outlet for me. So I, I encourage everybody to think of cooking as therapeutic and a great way to develop a healthy relationship with food. I would love to know, speaking of creative, like somebody must have been a creative genius to figure out how to defat a peanut. I have no idea what that process would even involve. Do you? No, I mean, I'm just like envisioning somebody just sucking the oil out of it and putting it through a food processor. But like, I don't know, that's that's food science for you. That's not something you can do in your personal kitchen. Yeah, right. <laughs> At least I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to like, I want to look that one up and uh, hopefully I can find an answer and I'll, I'll tack that on to the end of uh, the podcast. So uh, if you are, are listening to this uh, on Apple Podcast or Spotify, cool. Stay tuned after we wrap up the Q&A. I hope to have an answer for you on that. Um, let's go ahead and... And take a question here from JD. This is a good one that has come up once or twice on the show previously, but not for a while. JD is wondering whether raw mushrooms are safe to eat or should we only eat them after they've been cooked? Mm -hmm. So some of them are safe, but some of them not so much. Um, shiitake mushrooms, for example, um, have low, very low levels of, I think it's called formaldehyde. And so just cooking those for a minute or two gets rid of that um, so that they are safe to eat. But you wouldn't want to eat those ones raw. Um, but there's other varieties that are like a white button mushroom, for example, that it's fine to chop up and eat those raw. Let's take a question here from Kimberly. She writes, my mom was diagnosed recently with osteoporosis. Can a vegan diet help her or is it already too late? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, sorry to Kimberly. That is really tough. Um, in terms of going vegan, um, one of the benefits is, is you're getting rid of dairy products, which have not been shown to be protective uh, for bone health. So, and if anything can be destructive. So I think that a good, great step is to go plant-based, go vegan, <laughs> get rid of um, the dairy to help um, preserve what, what is left um, of um, the stability of her bones. Um, but there's, there's more than just nutrition when it comes to helping um, with bone health and, you know, thinking about weight bearing activities, getting enough vitamin D. Um, so there's, there's a lot of things to explore and I would definitely recommend talking with their healthcare provider of what are all the things that can be done, um, to improve health there. And, uh, we will definitely keep, uh, your mom in our thoughts there, Kimberly. So, um, hopefully uh, she can find some benefit from it. Um, Meg moving on, Meg wants us to keep chewing the fat. Maggie, she is wondering how many grams of fat do you need to eat every day? What's a healthy amount? Okay. Well, first of all, chewing the fat, that's a gross phrase. <laughs> but, I mean, just, you know, sorry, grandma. She's the one that gave it to me. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's totally okay. I just had to call you out on that. Um, but how many grams of fat? Um, well, for somebody, for somebody who especially has um, diabetes or heart disease or needs to lose weight, we generally recommend about 10 to 15% of your calories coming from fat. Um, and so, of course, it depends on your caloric needs, your age, your activity level, and what that looks like. But um, the average person is probably going to be, average adults, probably around 20 to 30 grams of fat to help um, improve those conditions. 
Uh, for somebody who doesn't have diabetes or obesity or heart disease, um, you know, there's probably some wiggle room for having more than that, um, but not an excessive amount more. <laughs> so. Oh, man, you talk about fat. Stu wants to talk about calories. He's wondering how important is it to actually count calories? Do you actually need to do it? Hmm. That is a very individualized question. I think most people do not need to because um, a food is so much more than just a calorie. I mean, if you look at um, broccoli, we just talked about earlier, it's it's not just about how many calories it has, which is not that many, <laughs> um, but it's about the calcium that it has and the fiber and other vitamins and minerals and antioxidants that it contains. Um, so when we when we reduce it down to just being, oh, this has 50 calories in it, or this has 600 calories in it, whatever you're talking about, um, you're you're only looking at it from one angle. Um, however, I do think that for some people, it's very helpful to get a good sense of like, oh, I didn't know this was so high in calories, <laughs> like, or this is really low and I can feel like a little bit more free and liberal to eat this, um, you know, depending on what it is. Um, so in, in some respect, it's helpful, but it's not the full picture. Um, so, and again, if you're not a numbers person and that is just discouraging, then counting calories is not going to help uplift your process and your journey to good health. Uh, but some people really like that data and crunching numbers and that's when it's useful. Um, so I, I would say, you know, come visit us at Barnard Medical Center <laughs> um, and we can talk about it more in terms of if that would be good for, for where you're at. Yeah, I, I like that individualized approach uh, idea because when people ask, well, you know, how did you lose weight? I was like, well, I will tell you what worked for me, but it's really about finding what works best for you. We can give you a bunch of tools and a bunch of ideas, but then it's up to you to kind of assemble them in the best way possible to be successful for yourself. That's kind of my standard answer to people. But uh, one of the things that really helped me also was you were just talking about um, doing a little research and finding out how many calories a certain food has in it. So when you're working with patients at the Barnard Medical Center and they do have a weight loss goal, do you really stress the importance of flipping a package over and looking at the nutrition labels? I do for a few things. Um, I think one label reading can you know, bring awareness to like what is actually in this food that I'm eating. Of course, if it like has a label, right? <laughs> um, those are the ones that are especially helpful to read, in my opinion. Um, but it builds awareness. Um, I think two of the things that I have people look at more than calories, uh, um, definitely are total fat and fiber. Um, so, you know, obviously, if the if the fat content is high, the calories are high. That's just kind of a given because fat has more calories than carbohydrates or protein the other two macronutrients. Um, so that's kind of, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, but then uh, fiber is a super important nutrient. Most of us are not meeting our daily needs um, by a large stretch of the imagination. Um, so if something has at least three grams of fiber in it, you know that it's probably a pretty high fiber food, most likely not highly processed, depending on what you're looking at. So it's a good starting point. But the next point that I really encourage people to look at is the ingredients list. Do you recognize what's in there? Is there a long list of it? Um, and the top three ingredients, are they are they whole foods? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is an art to looking at the label, um, and it can be really informative. You know, we talk a lot about fiber on this show, and a number of our colleagues have that right at the top of the list of important nutrients. Is it at the top of yours? Is it in the top three? Where does Maggie Neola, dietitian extraordinaire, rank fiber? <laughs> oh, goodness. That is a question nobody has ever asked me. <laughs> but I love it. 
Um, yeah, fiber is definitely at the top. I love the phrase. We've, I'm sure we've thrown it out on the show before, like fiber is the new protein because it totally is. Um, it is so important for good gut flora, for helping you feel satisfied longer, for weight loss, for you know blood sugar control. You, you could go on and make a, a whole essay. In fact, there's a book called Fiber Fueled. <laughs> My God, Dr. Bolsowitz. <laughs> yes. Um, so it is, it is such an important nutrient that we just don't get enough of and is unique to plant-based foods. Um, so again, another validation for eating more plants. Yeah. And to be serious for a minute, I actually think that people who are nervous about adopting a plant-based diet because they think they're always going to be hungry because all they're going to be eating is grass or a salad, you know, no, it's nothing like that. And two, the fiber is going to keep you full. Like yes. think about every previous diet that you've ever been on. And I can virtually guarantee a whole food plant-based diet is going to keep you way more satisfied, way more full than anything you've done previously. And that is a huge, huge, huge benefit for people who are just getting going on there. Bring some comfort to it. Bring some comfort. Yeah. And to add to that too, I mean, um, if somebody's new to their journey and they're trying to figure out and their default is to go for salads, <laughs> um, which is, you know, you're not alone in that. Um, but trying to look at if there's anything to count, it's fiber. Like a lot of times we just said, would I count anything? And that's fiber. So if you are nearing 40 grams of fiber a day as an adult, you are probably feeling full and satisfied across your day. Um, as opposed to if you're only hitting like 10 grams of fiber for the day, that's not enough. <laughs> so what are some tips that you have for maybe even getting a little extra fiber in a salad? I'm a big fan of just throwing whatever roasted vegetables I have on top of a bed of leafy greens, maybe throw some grains in there. It could be quinoa, it could be something as simple as brown rice, but how would you maximize fiber content in a salad? Mm -hmm. I would ensure that there is some type of legume, meaning beans, lentils, or peas. Um, that is the highest fiber food group of our power plate food group. <laughs> so of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, the legumes have the most bang per your buck. So um, even if you're just throwing um, a quarter cup of beans onto that, um, ideally working your way up towards a half cup would probably be best. Um, but being able to have a good serving of, of those legumes is going to significantly increase not just fiber, but also protein and iron and calcium and all the good things that we talked about that come with the whole food package. All right. And in that long list of healthy foods you just rattled off, you mentioned grains. So that takes us to our next question. And that one is from Kelly. She writes, do you really need to eat grains in order to have a healthy diet? Mm hmm. I do believe you do. <laughs> so, um, you know, whole grains are a really good source of the vitamins and iron um, even to some extent calcium. Um, so this group is so important. I, you know, I have a lot of patients who they like, they like, I'm always hungry. And then I started adding quinoa or millet or oats into my day. And then I felt more satisfied. Um, and we just, you don't get that from other food groups. Of course, there's some, you know, protein and fiber in other ones as well, but there's something unique to this category. Um, there's a really good website, wholegrainscouncil.org. And it shows you all the different types of whole grains, what you can do with them. And it's not unique to plant-based approaches, but I do find this resource to be really helpful. And I, I send a lot of my patients to it um, so that they can think outside of the box of, you know, it's not just whole wheat bread we're talking about here. <laughs> There's like hundreds of types of whole grains out there. And obviously we can't access all of them, but even if we just introduced one new whole grain a month into what we were doing, like how exciting would that be? Ooh. 
I could get like we could start up a whole thing, like a whole grain of the month club and oh, just yeah. name a different one every month and, yeah. and throw out a recipe for it. Let's try buckwheat in November. <laughs> it's buckwheat November, everybody, right? <laughs> Forget Thanksgiving. It's buckwheat November. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've got a two-parter here from Jane. You mentioned that berries are really good sources of vitamin C, a lot of them. But Jane is wondering whether or not you can eat too many berries. She says that she piles them onto uh, her oat porridge every day, and her kids tell her she's just going over the top with these things probably very delicious over there, but um, <laughs> sorry, I love the food puns. Anyway, um, can you have too many berries on your oatmeal? Of course you can. I mean, if you put on like five cups of berries, you're probably going to have some digestive distress, <laughs> <laughs> um, just like with anything. Um, and also I would, it's not a bad thing to have berries every day. Like I'm definitely not um, saying that it's not a good idea. Um, it's a wonderful thing to include, but not at the expense of incorporating other foods, especially other different types of fruits. Um, so, you know, maybe if you have berries in the morning, maybe thinking about having a different type of, you know, fruit for lunch, like maybe something in the stone fruit family of, you know, plums or peaches, um, depending on what's in season. Uh, and then, you know, one of the things I like to do because it's winter and where I live, I just there's not as much um, fresh fruit right now. So that's when I really pour into the, the frozen fruit options because they're frozen at peak um, ripeness and it's just one ingredient <laughs> um, and they can work really well. Uh, in your rotation. Oh, no doubt. I like, I, and, and I actually like frozen fruit best on top of hot oatmeal because it kind of cools it off. You know, it brings wow. it down to that room temperature. So you're ready to go even faster, right? So if you're hungry, just throw that frozen fruit on top and you're, man, you're in heaven. Um, but a follow-up from Jane though, she wants to know whether eating a lot of berries can actually cause you to gain weight. Hmm. I would imagine not. Um, the reason is, is they also come with a whole lot of fiber and fiber really helps to reduce, um, helps you to lose weight. One, because it helps you feel full, but um, it's also kind of this process of where like you, it helps you have more frequent bowel movements, for example. So it improve, improves that aspect of your health, um, which coordinates with healthy weight loss. So I, I can't imagine that it would cause weight gain. Uh, let's take a question from Lenora. She wants to tap into your culinary expertise. Lenora is wondering, what are some ways that you can cook onions that does not require oil? Great question. Um, well, if you have access to running water, you are in luck. <laughs> so, um, here's the trick though. And of course you could read about a lot of different methods for this, but um, instead of thinking like, oh, I have to get the pan hot and put the oil in it. And it's like, you know, medium high temperature, let's flip this and turn that temperature down a little bit to like medium or low medium. And once the pan's a little bit warm, just throw those onions in there and don't touch them. <laughs> just like let them sit there for a little bit. <laughs> and then as they begin to stick a little bit, you know, if you stir them a little bit and if they stick at all, that's when you put, can put in the same amount of oil that you would have put in, but put it in with water instead. So like a tablespoon of water, just you don't have to measure it. <laughs> um, just have some fun with it. Put a little water to help deglaze the pan. Um, but it's interesting because onions will release their water over time. And so um, if you keep the heat down low enough and you don't touch it too often, um, but just stirring it a little bit, you'll see that they start to turn clear, which is what you want. And they, they will get a little bit of browning on the bottom of that pan. And that's caramelization, which adds a lot of flavor to your food. It's kind of what gives that sweetness to it. 
Um, so that's a good thing. And, and if you put that a little bit of water or low sodium vegetable stock or some kind of liquid in the pan, um, you'll hear that sizzling. <laughs> and that's your opportunity to kind of stir and get that, you know, caramely goodness up on into the onion um, by, by stirring it all together. And then as you add other vegetables to it, like mushrooms, for example, <laughs> they will release uh, their liquid and you won't need anything, you won't need any additional liquid for it to stop sticking as long as you keep the heat down low enough. I like that term, caramelly goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can like, quote me on that. <laughs> that. Seriously, like if you close your eyes, like that paints a picture of the pan. Like that's that's pretty cool, the caramelly goodness. Um, okay, we were talking a little bit earlier about vitamin C and iron. So Cersei has a follow-up to that. Wondering, can you increase low iron levels with food or do you need to take a supplement? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it depends on how low your levels are. Um, for dangerously low iron levels, you might need to do two tactics at the same time of having a supplement and uh, incorporating iron-rich foods, but you don't know until you get your levels checked and how low it is. <laughs> so um, talking with your healthcare provider about that, but most people can increase the levels just through dietary changes alone of incorporating more iron-rich foods, like those whole grains, for example, um, and pairing them with something high in vitamin C for increasing the absorption. Priscilla writes in uh, that she has diabetes and knows that carbs give her energy, but her question is, would you be tired all the time if you ate a low-carb diet? Hmm. That's a great question. I, I, I don't know because I haven't personally tried that, <laughs> but I would imagine so. I mean, I feel like that's the whole, like, oh, when somebody goes on a keto diet, which is a very low carb diet, they feel super tired at first because <laughs> their body's learning how to use fat as fuel instead of carbohydrate, which is is meant for, you know, extreme times when we have no food access, which isn't really true here in the United States as much, um, thankfully. Um, so that's why that whole mechanism is part of our bodies for times of starvation, which I hope never happens to anybody here. Um but we are not meant to do that naturally. Like we are meant to get our fuel from glucose or the majority of our fuel. Um, and that is how we will have the most energy. And we're not talking about simple sugars here. We're, you know, we're talking about complex carbohydrates like those, you know, whole fruits and vegetables and legumes and um, whole grains as well. Uh, we have more than three quarters of, or roughly three quarters of the country right now is overweight. Uh, Wakilia, not one of them. Uh, she is definitely kind of in her own small group. She writes that she is underweight. And Maggie, she's wondering how much fat she should be eating every day to healthfully put pounds back on. Mm -hmm. um, I would almost flip the question and think about well, how much food overall should I be eating? Um, and, you know, um, really taking a look at how much do you eat currently? Like how many servings of these different food groups are you having and which ones could we increase? I don't think necessarily have to eat high fat foods to put the weight on, even though I know that sounds a little weird because we're talking about like, keep the fat low so you can lose weight <laughs> or maintain good health. Um, but really thinking about your overall intake, are you eating enough? Do you feel satisfied after your meals? Um, or are you hungry an hour later? And if that's the case, like, what does it look like to boost your meal um, with all sorts of uh, nutrients, not just total fat intake? 
Let's take a follow-up from her, though. Um, and this is something that a lot of people wonder about as well. Uh, she's wondering which foods have healthy fats. Do you have those conversations with patients uh, when you work with them? Definitely. I think it's a great conversation to have. <laughs> <laughs> um, so things like those nuts and seeds, which we talked about earlier in the show today, um, have some healthy fats. They do come with some saturated fat, though, too. So I don't want you to think like, oh, it's... Um, only unsaturated fats that are in there. Um, the more that you eat of them, the more unsaturated and saturated fat you're getting. <laughs> so um, just keeping in mind that it's often a ratio of, of the amount of fats, but they, the nuts and seeds do have more of the unsaturated fats than saturated, which are those ones that are more artery clogging. Um, but not just nuts and seeds, um, looking at olives and um, avocados, and one of the things where, you know, a lot of patients ask me, well, what about olive oil? I thought that was healthy. Well, I think of olive oil a lot like juice. <laughs> so we can all acknowledge that an apple is healthier than apple juice because an apple is the whole food. It comes with the fiber, um, whereas the apple juice is just, you know, some of this, essentially the sweetness, <laughs> um, some of the sugars and a little bit of vitamins and minerals, but it's lacking all of the fiber. And so in the same way, um, that's how olive oil is. Like it doesn't have any fiber left in it, which is some of the, a lot of the protective parts of that food. Um, so really going back to the original food is going to be a healthier way of, of eating. Um, so yeah, keeping some olives in there, some nuts and seeds and avocados, those all have healthier fats, um, but should be eaten in moderation for pretty much everyone. Good advice. We've got time for just a couple of more here before we close up the di dietitian's mailbag today. Um, let's take this one from Carolyn. She is wondering how a whole food plant-based diet can help after someone is diagnosed with cancer. Hmm. Well, a whole food plant-based diet can help somebody before or after. Um, but if you're thinking about um, with cancer, you know, unwanted cell growth, um, so the more that we can bring in these foods that have a lot of antioxidants that reduce inflammation, um, that are not promoting unwanted cell growth, um, the healthier we're going to be. So again, kind of going back to dairy, if you look at dairy and breast cancer, for example, it does um, uh, increase that risk for breast cancer. But if you remove that, you're getting rid of something that isn't health promoting and you're replacing it with foods that are more protective. So um I think it's very helpful to make a dietary change at any point. Yeah. And I'll tell you with this, uh, as, as we're doing this being the month of October, Dr. Christy Funk and I have been doing a series of shows. And I mean, you want to talk about the science of how a whole food plant-based diet can help uh, prevent and certainly prevent also recurrence of cancer. I mean, she dives into it with studies that are just mind blowing nice. antioxidants, just the tip of the iceberg with her. Yes. I mean, it's it's <laughs> just really incredible science. So if you get an opportunity to check out that series, I highly, highly, highly recommend uh, that you do. Um, let's see here. Next to last question, Michelle, she's wondering what foods are best for joint inflammation. She says that she's already vegan. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great question. I feel like for joint inflammation, um, you know, looking at what foods are potentially causing inflammation. Are you eating any processed vegan foods? Um, you know, some of these like fake meats and <laughs> cheeses um, or oils. Um, those would be things to minimize or avoid if you can um, to give your joints a better um, chance at being less inflamed. Um, some people also look at doing um, 
an elimination diet to see if there's certain foods that can kind of trigger more pain than others. But that's something you'd want to do with the help of a healthcare provider. All right. Final question goes to Maura and she's looking for some practical advice here. She is the mother of a teenager and she wants to know how can I help my pre-diabetic teen who is surrounded by poor influences and peer pressure? Hmm. That is, that's a tough one. I mean, it's uh, not tough in like, oh, I have no hope for you. That's not what I mean. <laughs> but it's tough because the environment has such a powerful impact on us. Um, as you very well know that, you know, if they're, if your teenager's friends are eating this, they're going to want to do that too. Or if they're, you know, if you live somewhere where there's a lot of fast food around you, it's really hard to say no to that. Um, so first recognizing like what's in your control, um, is probably the, a good place to start, right? Of like, well, I can, you know, we can take the, the route to school a different way. Um, or maybe we can work on dietary changes together. Like if, if you guys both explore um, new foods and testing them out and involving your teenager in preparing them, the more that they can take ownership in their decisions and, um, you know, experience how a food meal comes together, the more likely they're going to want to do that. Um, even with little kids, for example, the more that they go to a garden, for example, and see how carrots are grown or how kale, where it comes from, <laughs> they're more likely to want to eat that. So the, the more that you involve the kids in the process of understanding where their food comes from, uh, the more excited they're going to be and giving them the ability to choose to eat those uh, and then role modeling that for them is really crucial. You can't expect someone to do something if you're not also doing it too. Yeah. You know, and being a teenager is so tough, especially with something like this. I mean, it seems like so simple, a food choice, right? But as a teen, I just remember like Maggie wanting so badly to fit in with everyone else. And so naturally, if they were eating whatever was in the lunch line that day, pizza, hamburger, whatever the case may be, then I wanted to eat the pizza or the hamburger that was in the lunch line as well. Because if you step outside that little circle, oh, you don't want to be, you know, excommunicated uh, as a mm -hmm. teenager, like you want to fit yeah. in. That's yeah. it's so hard. Yeah, you definitely want to fit in. So I wonder if there's ways to like, bring the friends into the whole process as well of like, could you could could you find a supportive friend <laughs> that would be part of this process? Um, you know, two other resources are Veggie Fit Kids and Sprouting Wellness. Um, you can look them up. They're both founded by doctors um, and they are pediatricians and they work a lot with families on how to help them go through changes um, towards more plant-based eating patterns. Um, so that might be another place to, to look. And, you know, as kids have a more keen awareness of, you know, their their health and uh, certainly the environment as well, I'm wondering if it might even be an option to start like a plant-based club in high school. High schools have clubs for days. So I'm wondering, like, if, if you could kind of create that club and get your friends on board with that or probably even make a lot of new friends as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, maybe it's a time to to make some new friends. <laughs> you know, our friends influence us quite a bit. But again, that kind of has to come from an internal motivation for that person to, to want to seek out new friends as well. For sure. And, and I will end with this nugget of wisdom is that we put in a salad bar at my high school, my senior year. And the line for the salad bar literally went almost out the cafeteria while the lines for that regular food, the hamburger, the French fries, the pizza, all of that stuff, it got so much shorter. Everybody wanted to load up on those healthier options. So I think 
that if you start eating those healthier options yourself, your friends are probably going to like look at you like, oh, man, yeah, that looks way better than this little square flimsy hamburger and cardboard pizza that I have on my tray here. You got that right. That's so mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> All right. If you like the show today, do me a favor. Please go ahead and subscribe to this channel. Like us on Facebook as well. Give this video a thumbs up. And uh, if you would like to work one-on-one -on -one with Maggie, she will be more than happy to help you out and help you reach your health goals. You can set up an appointment to visit with her virtually. Telemedicine visits are available at the Barnard Medical Center. Schedule your appointment today by calling 202-527-7500 or log on to barnardmedical.org for a full list of states where services are available. And yes, insurance is accepted. Uh, Maggie, I would imagine now more than ever, there are a lot of people taking a, a bigger uh, interest in their health and really wanting to not wait until the new year to get things on the right track. You got it. Yeah, we are. A we are a busy medical center, but we're so excited to see new faces. <laughs> there it is. And we've put a link to uh, the Barnard Medical Center in the show description as well, or call 202-527-7500. Uh, and before, by the way, uh, you get a jump start by working with Maggie, you can do that right now. Like you don't even have to wait. All you need to do is pull out your phone. I got mine right here and head over to the app store. All right. Whether you've got an Android or an Apple device, head over to the App Store. Look for the 21 Day Vegan Kickstart app by the Physicians Committee. Absolutely free. It will set you up for the first three weeks. Everything you need to know for those first 21 days of going vegan. I mean, we're talking grocery store tours. We're talking recipes. We're talking nutrition information. And Maggie, this was a project that you're involved in. And I know that there there's so many good videos and information that comes with this. But, you know, you're part of this app, too, right? I am. Yeah. If you want to see an oil-free onion saute, head on over to the Kickstart. <laughs> there you go. See, to the roomie who was asking about how to cook onions without oil. There you go. The 21-day the vegan Kickstart. And uh, we'll go ahead and make that convenient. We'll drop some links to that in the show description as well. Uh, Maggie Neola, thank you so very much for being here today. This has just been a real treasure catching up with you. Likewise. Thank you. <laughs> Don't forget to join us for The Exam Room Live every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific over on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and their Facebook page. That is your best opportunity every week to ask experts like Maggie Neola your questions. Dr. Neil Barnard will be back on the show next week. And of course, Dr. Will Bolsowitz, gastroenterologist extraordinaire, he will be on the show very soon once again as well. So join us every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook to ask the experts your question. And you can also send your question in to the mailbag ahead of time. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Send it to me there. I am at Chuck Carroll, WLC. Now, I wanted to give a quick follow-up to our conversation about vitamin C. You know, a lot of people think that deficiency with that is a thing of the past, like it just could not possibly happen here in modern times. I mean, you think about vitamin C deficiency, you think about scurvy. When you think about scurvy, maybe you connect the dots all the way back to the sailors who came over hundreds of years ago. And yeah, flash forward now back to present day U.S., the majority of us are in fact getting plenty of C. 
More than enough, as a matter of fact. Now, the recommended daily amount for women, by the way, is 75 milligrams a day. And for men, it's 90 milligrams. And if you happen to be a smoker, you can add an additional 35 milligrams on top of those numbers. Now, why is that? Well, it's because smokers are about three times more likely to lack adequate amounts of vitamin C in their diet compared to non-smokers. And yet, even among non-smokers, vitamin C deficiency is more common than you might think. Check this out. According to the NHANE study, tracking data in 2003 and 2004, this is an enormous study. We reference data from this quite frequently on the show. Now, according to the NHANE study, about 7% of the population is coming up short with vitamin C. And that number is actually a lot higher among low-income individuals, especially men especially men who suffer vitamin C deficiency at a rate of 17% compared to just 8% of men who earn more money. And interestingly here, women overall tend to do far better than men when it comes to vitamin C. Just over 10% of low-income women are deficient with it, and that compared to 5% of women who have more means. That's still a lot, a lot more than you would think, right? Those numbers really did surprise me. Now, I'm also going to link off to some data from the National Institutes of Health that lists additional foods that are high in vitamin C. Again, more foods that you probably didn't think of. You know, we've got cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, tomatoes, green peas, cantaloupe. So many good options on there if citrus and oranges just aren't your thing. Tons of options to make sure that you're getting plenty of vitamin C to keep your immune system in tip-top shape. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Maggie Neola for joining us and answering so many of your wonderful questions that you all sent into the Dietitian's Mailbag. Thank you all for sending them in. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you again so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.